Our sermon this morning is, is We Are Called to Care, and I'm doing a series of sermons on what is it that God calls us to do as followers of Jesus Christ in this life. So let's pray. Well, Holy Father, we thank you for this day and for the, uh, all the good that is in it. You have prepared a day of sunlight uh, for us and, and warmth. You have prepared a day when we can come together as the family of Christ in this place, and we can worship you, we can fellowship Father, we can open your word and we can learn what it means to care in the example of Jesus Christ and by his spirit. I thank you, Lord, for those who have traveled far to be here this morning. I thank you for their service, uh, uh, for Joy's service uh, for our country. And I pray, Lord, uh, your protection upon uh, her family as they continue to serve, uh, serve this nation overseas. Father, we pray this day also for uh, uh, leaders all over the world that uh, there would be a return to a spirit of civility among nations and that we would find a way uh, to work together. Uh, Father, uh, there are too many problems in this world, in this broken world, uh, broken by sin, uh, for us to each try to go our own way and not to walk together through this life. And so we pray that as a church that we would also be united in the cause of Jesus Christ and above all, as John Wesley said, that we would devote ourselves to nothing but the saving of souls. Father, may the message of the gospel go forth from this place this morning as we sing this great song, Rescue the Perishing, Pray for the Dying. Father, there are people out there who need to know Jesus and it's in his name that we pray and amen. Good morning. Please join me in reading the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture this morning is Luke 10, verses 30 through 35. Who is my neighbor? To answer this question, Jesus said, A man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Some robbers surrounded him, tore off his clothes, and beat him. Then they left him lying there on the ground, almost dead. It happened that a Jewish priest was going down that road. When he saw the man, he did not stop to help him. He walked away. Next, a Levite came near. He saw the hurt man, but he went around him. He would not stop to help him either. He just walked away. Then a Samaritan man traveled down that road. He came to the place where the hurt man was lying. He saw the man and felt very sorry for him. The Samaritan went to him and poured olive oil and wine on his wounds. Then they covered the man's wounds with cloth. The Samaritan had a donkey. He put the hurt man on the donkey, and he took him to an inn. There he cared for him. The next day, the Samaritan took out two silver coins and gave them to the man who worked at the inn. He said, take care of this man. If you spend more money on him, I will pay it back to you when I come through this way again. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. I ever preached as a pastor was on this passage, the Good Samaritan. And uh, I was uh, at my church for a month before someone had the courage to say to me, you do know that's what the preacher before you preached on her last Sunday at the church. And so 
uh, I had tried to get information. I think the preacher was not real happy about leaving or me coming or something, and she never did correspond to me. And I asked, what are you preaching uh, in, uh, in June as I arrived at the beginning of July? And she never did share that. And just for whatever reason, God told her to preach on the Good Samaritan and me to preach on the Good Samaritan. And I never heard her sermon. And I'd be interested to go back now and to read mine. I, I haven't done that for since I, since I preached it. But it would be very interesting to see if, if we uh, shared the same, same thoughts about this. So I've been thinking about this all week. And one of the things I thought about, because the title of the sermon is We Are Called to, to Care, and uh, obviously the Good Samaritan is about somebody who cared deeply uh, for a man and uh, a Samaritan who cared deeply for this man. And it got me to thinking about the word care and, lo- and the word love. The two are almost interchangeable. If you put care into, for God so cared for the world that he gave his only begotten son, uh, it works. Love and care are very close, closely related. If you love somebody, really love for them, you care for them. And care is also a funny word as I thought about this week because you care for them, but you also take care of them. You see, you, you may care, that's sort of an emotional thing. I have a deep inner feeling for this person that causes me to care for what happens to them. And because of that, I will take care of them. And so it's an interesting word how we use it, and it's certainly reflected perhaps better than anywhere else in the Bible in the story of a man who cares for another man. And so we're going to look at this for a few moments. I say a few moments. This is one of those sermons that, uh, you know, I could, I, I could easily take uh, two hours uh, to preach. There is just so much here uh, to share with you. But, uh, but let's uh, get right into it. Uh, by the way, I did have this thought this week, so we're not going to get right into it. Uh, this is why my sermons end up longer than that. I remember back in the ninth grade or so as a teenager, a big theme in the early 70s was apathy. Everybody was talking about apathy in our school, and they were trying to encourage students to get involved and to care about things. See, apathy is sort of the opposite. You just have no no drive or feeling for something. So you're apathetic about it. And the idea was that there were lots of issues out there uh, confronting the nation and the world. Uh, you know, we had a nuclear arms race, and there was poverty, and there was racism, and there was war, and pretty much all the things we still talk about today. But uh, it seemed that uh, a lot of youth weren't really uh, caring about those things. And I remember my ninth grade English teacher, she was brand new. Her name was Miss Gorgie. And um, uh, she one day brought in a uh, something for us to all sign, and it was a pledge. And it was a pledge uh, that said uh, that uh, I will not do drugs or something. Oh, no, no, I will not litter. A little bit different from doing drugs. I will not litter and all, too. And I remember it came to me, and I refused to sign it because <laughs> I love to litter. No, um, no, I was very deeply into my faith in Jesus Christ, and I knew that, you know, you, you know, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, let your yes be yes, your no be no, that don't swear on anything on earth, and this, that, and the other. And I was thinking, you know what, I don't need to sign something to say that. I don't litter. I wouldn't litter. And I don't need to sign your petition to say that. Oh, did she get mad at me? Because then everybody refused to sign it after I wouldn't do it anymore. You know, it was like I was leading a big revolt. 
So finally I said, if the whole thing is about apathy, I'm not being apathetic about this, you know. I care deeply about not signing that petition. And so anyways, I, I don't even remember what my grade was for that, that semester. But, you know, uh, that was a huge thing. And I think it is in all times. You have, um, uh, you have just a, a large part of any population that is apathetic. Even the Revolutionary War was really won by and fought by a minority in this country. And many people sat it out and just hoped that the, the battles didn't come onto their property. And uh, a lot of people sit out uh, in life in general. So we're talking about being called to care. And uh, this, this passage begins, if we go back to verse 25, it's all set up by uh, an expert in the law. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, a couple of things we need to know there. First of all, an expert in the law in this case was not an expert in constitutional law, okay, or, or, or civil law. He was an expert in the law of Moses, which essentially is the first five books, the Torah, the first five books of the, of the, uh, of the Bible, That is where we find the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments being that primary thing that we always think of there. But then there are 619 laws altogether that Moses had that the people had to follow. And then over the centuries, people built up what they called the oral law. And the oral law were those things that were debated back and forth orally, and they became the traditions of men which Jesus very often condemned. By your traditions, you had made null and void the will of God. Because your traditions sometimes got so petty that people were more obsessed with the petty traditions than they were with actually, uh, actually doing God's will. That can happen in a very informal way in any church. You know, you, you form a tradition, and then when it's, it's, a change is needed for some practical reason, we refuse to say, no, no, this is the way we've always done it. So we're not going to change this. So uh, this is what Jesus confronted in a very deep way in that society. So this expert in the law stands up, and uh, we see this in other places in the New Testament, that there was a respect for Jesus, and such was their respect that these experts would very often show up and ask him a question in front of a crowd, hoping that they can trip him up. And so the first thing he asks him, he has sort of a two-part thing here, Uh, he, he, he says to Jesus, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now notice he says, what must I do? What works must I do? What actions must I take? Now we're, we're real big in this time. We have figured out that we are saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 28. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. Okay, it's not by our works. Okay, so our answer to this guy would be, what must you do to inherit eternal life? Well, you don't have to do anything. God's grace will save you. We might say you need to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Go up one Sunday at the end of the service and make a, make a promise, say the sinner's prayer or something. We might have something attached there. But after that, a lot of churches, it's kind of like that's the end of it. That's, that's all there is to it. I think that is a gross misunderstanding of the idea of being saved by grace through faith. I want to talk about that a little bit more here because what's interesting And uh, Jesus says, now, you know what's written in the law. And so Jesus says, how do you read it? He asks him a question. How do you read it? And so the expert says, well, 
you, are, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. And he used the do word again. He says, do this and you will live. You've asked me what must I do to have eternal life. And what you have to do is love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourselves. And love is an action word here, okay? It's a verb. You need to go and do something. Love has to be expressed in caring. You don't just go next door and say, I love you to your neighbor and say, I have fulfilled the law. But this is done in actions, and that will be illustrated by the story that Jesus gives. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people at this point say, well, I'm a little bit confused because if it's by God's grace and not of my works, how is it that Jesus is telling this man, if you do this, he didn't say anything about the sinner's prayer. He didn't say anything about grace. He didn't even mention faith. He just said, do this and you will have eternal life. I'm confused. And I, and I think we need a moment to think about this as, as, as before we go on through our story and really get into the specifics of what it means to care. When we're talking about being saved by grace, the key here is grace through faith. So it's very important that we define faith. James defines faith as what? Well, he, he kind of gives this negative definition by saying, faith without works is dead. One thing that James says faith isn't, it's sitting on your rear end. I tried to put that politely sitting on your rear end and just singing hymns and but not doing anything when God calls you to do something. You live a life of obedience. Faith is something that if you actually go out and put into practice what Jesus taught and you actually go out and strive to do the will of God, your faith is strengthened. Even when you run into tough times, even when you fail at times, your faith is strengthened. Your relationship with God is strengthened. One thing I've noticed about people in in dealing with death very often, sometimes, you know, I'm counseling with people who uh, have lost a loved one, and, uh, and they say, now, we never went to church. And then at some point, they'll express anger at God. How could God do this? See, the two things. They're angry with God. They never went to church. But I will tell you, almost everybody I've ever dealt with who has gone to church faithfully, they will not say to me, I'm angry with God. Isn't that interesting? You see, because their faith is not a reactive thing with no knowledge of God and no knowledge of how life and death work in the kingdom of God. Their faith is based upon a foundation of God's word that they have learned. But the anger comes out of not knowing that. Not knowing God, not having a relationship with God, not waking up every day and praying to God, not as you go along through life and have disappointments and, 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 or impediments, things come in your way, not having a God you can turn to. And so, of course, you're going to be angry. You don't understand God. You don't understand how this works. Or maybe you think, well, God was, is, is just the guy upstairs who's supposed to make everything good for me. How could he do this? So I have found that the people with the strong faith also have the greatest understanding of God's grace and God's will and God's purpose. And the people who don't go to church, who have not had anything ingrained into them in terms of Scripture, they're angry with God all the time because everything bad that happens to them, it's God's fault. 
just an interesting thing that came through my head. I'd like to develop that more, but I'm not going to do that this morning. But this whole idea uh, that somehow we're saved by grace through faith, and then that has nothing to do with works, I've, I've never believed that. Because I believe that the person who has faith will respond to God with works, will want to please God. If you had a parent that you always wanted to please, I was a dad pleaser. I wanted to please my dad. My mom, I made her angry all the time. There was no hope. My dad, I wanted to please. You know, I wanted to make him proud of me because I was so proud of him and who he was. And the biggest, biggest uh, thing, you know, that, that, uh, that drove me was the fact I never wanted my dad to be disappointed in me. Now, that can be a destructive thing if it goes too far. I've transferred that onto my wife. I'm all the time trying to please Lydia, and I never can do it. It's an ongoing theme in my life. You know, how can I please her? And I try and try. And, uh, you know, uh, she's, she's a tough taskmaster. She did, it's excellence. I'm, I'm probably the best man she ever could have married, and she's still not happy with me. Don't laugh at that. I have written in here, congregation will say amen loudly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, it seems the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he gets this answer from Jesus. You think, okay, now he's a lawyer, see? Lawyers set up questions with other questions. It's kind of like they they trick you. You think that this is what they're after, but then they come from the side with another thing. And so then he says, but he wanted to justify himself. Now, he wanted to impress the crowd. He wanted to show that he could get Jesus tripped up, so he asks him a very dangerous question. He says, so who is my neighbor? That's a loaded question back then. Because people pretty much in that time, their neighbor were only the people who believed what they believed, who were of their same blood and nation. That was it. Those were your neighbors. And so if Jesus goes outside of that tight little circle, he's going to have some people upset with him. Just like down south, you know, there was a time when if you had come along and said, uh, uh, somebody asked the preacher, well, who can I marry? And you said, well, anybody. Doesn't matter, race, whatever. Yeah, black, white, whatever. Any, anybody can marry any. Oh, boy, you would have been out the door quickly. So they're kind of, he's setting Jesus up here a little bit on this thing. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies with the story, which he's really good at. And I love the way the stories are constructed when Jesus tells them because they always leave 2,000 years later. We're still trying to see every nuance within that. He doesn't always leave you with all the details. And he wants you to sort of fill them in a bit and think about it and explore it. So he asks this question, and Jesus begins to tell this story. He says, a man, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho is a really big deal. You have to understand, uh, that's 1,700 feet in elevation from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So now you're going down this very steep thing. I, I looked it up the other day, and if you were on the top of Afton Mountain and came down to the official elevation of the city of Stanton, you would have gone down just 300 feet. Doesn't it seem like Afton Mountain is a whole lot higher than that to you? I think it's because the valley has some rise in it as you get over to Stanton, and then we have some decline as we go into the pits of Verona. But Stanton's, Stanton's only 300 feet difference. And, 
And it was a big deal. The, uh, some of the psalms are called psalms of ascent because they were the psalms that would be sung with, by pilgrims as they ascended to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the great high mountain. And Jericho is way down here. And so this trip was made all the time. Very, uh, you know, it was the I-81 of its day. Back and forth people were going. But it was dangerous because robbers would wait behind the rocks. And they would wait to, to jump out and to rob somebody. And so uh, this man is going along. We get no details about him. Rich, poor, Samaritan, Jew, uh, merchant, pauper, nothing. is. Jesus doesn't give us any details except the fact he was traveling down from Jerusalem. And he was attacked. And the people stripped him, they beat him, and they left him for dead. And the first person to come along is who? The priest. Kind of the equivalent of the preacher. We're always picking on the preacher. So the first guy to come along, he's the priest. And the priest passes by to the other side. So the man is over here. Now, why would a priest do that? My goodness, he's a holy man. He's supposed to help this guy. He has no excuse for this. And this is why Jesus chose two different men, a a priest and a Levite. The Levite is kind of like a lower level of the priest. He's sort of like the priest. He's of the tribe of Levi, his his ancestors, but he's he's not quite up at the level of the priest. So we start with the guy who really should have known better and should have helped out. But he passes to the other side. And and, and the reason being, uh, most scholars would say the reason he would pass to the other side is because for a priest to touch or to come even near a man who is, is dying or dead, he will be declared unclean for a certain number of days. And he will not be able to do his priestly duties. But the fact he's coming down from Jerusalem tells us he has just completed his priestly duties up in Jerusalem. And usually there was a rotation of priests. He was going home to his home in Jericho. A lot of them commuted up. So he'd spend a month at home and a month month back up in, in Jerusalem at the temple. So he had just completed it. So by the time he was to return back up to Jerusalem, he would be clean again. But he passes by. The Levite does the same thing. So in my mind, I put on my preacher brain here. And everything I've learned about being a preacher over the years. And there are some things that have surprised me that I have learned. One of the things that did not occur to me before I became a preacher, I never would have become a preacher, is the fact that people have an expectation of preachers that they don't have of other people. And one of them is, if you ask the preacher for something, the preacher is constrained by God to give you what you want. He cannot say no. And if he is... If he does, he's a bad preacher. I am a bad preacher, according to my neighbor across the street, who the other night, Friday evening, I had a terrible Friday. I began with passing out the things for the Saturate Augusta, and a man in the neighborhood at 7.30 came out taking pictures of my car and yelling at me. So that wasn't great. He, he said, there's something illegal about what you're doing, and you shouldn't be here. So I got that to begin the day, and at the end of the day, I go out to, the final thing I do each day is take my dog out for her final walk, and as I go out into my driveway, the woman across the street in the eight apartments over there, she lives over there, she yells, you are a terrible preacher. I didn't know if she had shown up one Sunday morning, and I wasn't aware or what was going on. You are a terrible preacher. I asked you to use your, use your phone, and you did not let me. 
I want to tell you what I've done for this woman. Over the years, she's the woman who they dropped off in the road when we had a big snowstorm. Some of y'all know this story. Two feet of snow, had to dig the way, get her to the front porch. Half, And then she informs me when I get to the front porch that she lived around back. So now i got to shovel all the way around back. She's the woman I did that for, and I, I got her through the snow all the way up to the porch and went and got a blanket for her and got a coat for her at our house and was doing all this stuff for her. She is somebody just a month ago, she was at our door with her son. She has an adult son. He had just been released from prison, and they needed food. So we went through the cupboard and the refrigerator, and we cleared out everything that we didn't like and gave it to her. <laughs> no, no, okay. Uh, I had bought her a phone at one time, and 30-day plan. She had 30 days of phone service. I bought her a phone. All these things. She would show up on my porch and be sitting there, and preacher, could you do this? Could you do that? So one night, this past week, she asked if she, she could use my phone, and I said, where's your phone? It's broken. I said, I don't let anybody use my phone. Because the fact is, is that some of the people over there, they're doing drugs. And I don't want my phone connected to some, you know, I have to go to court and everything and, you know, you know, Tony's number might show up on my phone. Imagine what the police are going to do then, you know. I know he's back there making faces and murmuring behind my back. So, so all this is going on in my head and she says to me, you're a terrible preacher. And you know what I responded? Well, no, this was after she said, Billy Graham was a great preacher. And my response was, did Billy Graham let you use his phone? (laughs) Then she began to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, dark is the valley, but you prepare a table for us. And your will be done. And she began to just mash all these different scriptures together in this prayer. And it's loud coming from the porch over at me as as my dog is peeing and doing her thing here. You know, oh, this is great. What a great day, beginning and end. You know, yeah. <laughs> that uh, idea here, the priest, I think it wasn't just because of the law. I think he also wanted to get home. I think he was tired of, of the expectations of him. He was, you know, his whole thing was, I'm done, I get to go home. But he used the law as an excuse, no doubt to justify himself. And this was the thing Jesus always got at. You use the law in the wrong way. You use it to punish people, to discriminate against people, to marginalize people, to reject people. Why are you doing that? So the priest goes on, the Levite goes, they're doing the same thing. They're using the law just the way Jesus says you're always using the law as an excuse to get out of stuff. Just be honest. You want to get home and watch the football game. You know? That's it. Last week, I, after church, this happens to me. People know that the church service ends at noon. And so I run down there and I try to get out of here as quickly as possible until somebody knocks on the door. And last week it, it happened. And, and this woman, we had helped a couple of weeks before. She needed a place to stay. Could I take her down to the night's Inn? I go to the night's Inn. They won't rent a room to her. You know, I was going to pay with the church discre- discretionary fund. And they wouldn't let her be, stay there. We went to the next place. They wouldn't let her stay there went over to the Lee Jackson, and she went to every door knocking to see if anybody in there would let her stay with them. And this was going on. I'm calling Lydia. I'll, I'll be home eventually, you know. 
And I know how the priest felt. Part of me just said, this isn't fair. It's not fair. Corky should have to do this. You know, he's the witness guy. Yeah. Why do I have to do this? So I know how they're feeling. And that, and that gets me to the, to the end here because I have to be at the end. Boy, I don't have time for it. But here's the, here, here's the end of it all. So you go on through this and you have the good Samaritan comes along. And Jesus, Jesus is using this to demonstrate this is a guy, the Samaritan, who you, you think is the lowest creature on earth. And yet he knows what it is to be a good neighbor. He not only helps the guy. I counted there were five times that he could have stopped and he would have been superior to the priest and the Levite in his actions. He, could, he, he put oil and wine and took and, and helped the guy. He gave him some wine and he's putting oil on his wound. If he had stopped there, he would have been a better neighbor than the priest. He then puts the guy on his donkey. If he had stopped there, you know, and just put him on his donkey and taken him down to the hotel and dropped him off, he would have been superior. Then he pays for the guy's food and lodging and all, all his expenses ahead of time. And if he had stopped there, he could have, he could have uh, been justified and said, well, I did more than the priest. But then he tells the, the innkeeper, he says, when I come back, I'm going to check in on him. And any additional expenses you have, I'll take care of it. I mean, it keeps going on like this. This is extraordinary caring, and this is what Christian caring is. This is why Jesus tells this story, to say this is what it means, not only who is your neighbor, but that to be a neighbor is to care, and to care deeply. And I'm telling you stories about my experiences with caring about people is about half of them end up not good for me. That in some way it's an imposition. In some way I come out, the person hates me, you know, even though I tried. It's amazing how that happens, which leads me to the conclusion that when Jesus talks about us loving and caring for other people, he isn't saying this is the way to joy in your life. But what he's saying is when you care and love other people, you care and love enough to make a sacrifice. And you're not always going to get your picture in the paper. You're not always going to get a thank you card. You're not always going to get a reward for this. In fact, they may even drag you to a cross, nail you to it, and kill you. Which is what Jesus got for caring. For God so cared for the world that he gave his only begotten son. He cared about us, and this is what his reward was. So if we go out expecting reward for what we're doing, we're going out without Jesus. But if we go out and we take up the cross and we follow Jesus and watch Jesus, we will learn along the way the secret is that we care for people authentically and deeply without expectation of an earthly reward, but that day when Jesus Christ will put his arm around your shoulder and say, well done, good and faithful servant. There is a reward that has been stored for you here. That's the reward. We don't go moping through life about how hard everything is, but we rejoice in the fact that we have been called to follow Jesus. And along the way, we get to care for people, people who may spit in our face, but you know what? Rejoice in your suffering. Because great is your reward, Jesus says. So to be a caring Christian is not to care in the way that the world cares. But it's to care in the way that Jesus cares. By the way, and I'm going to end with this because it was great, because I don't have any time left. And unless you, Can we take a vote? 30 more minutes? Anybody? Okay. okay. That, ain't, that ain't going to fly, apparently. Okay, here, here is something. This is out of my Wesley Bible. And it's down in the bottom here. But it's a quote of John Wesley. And he talks, you know, in that 18th century, very uh, formal sort of way. 
uh, so I'm going to interpret this a little bit. Let us renounce that bigotry and party zeal which would contract our hearts into an insensibility for all the human race, except for a small number whose sentiments and practices are so much our own. Now, what Wesley is saying there is we have gotten to the point where what we do is we have drawn the circle of those who we care for so small and down to only those people who reflect ourselves so that when we care for people, what we're actually doing is it's a form of self-love. I'm going to care for those people right in my little circle who believe what I believe, who vote like I vote, who have the same skin color as I have, who speak the same language and have the same accent. That is my circle of neighbor. And what Jesus has done here by bringing the Samaritan into the as far wide as he could cast the circle to this this, uh, lawyer, what he has said is, your neighbor is, is whoever needs you, regardless. It's amazing to me that John Wesley understood that back in the 1800s more than we do today. A couple of centuries, we, somehow we've lost ground on that. So remember that, that if Jesus was being asked that question in this church, what would his answer be? Maybe he, instead of Samaritan, it would be a person of a different race from most of us here. Maybe it would be a person who speaks a different language, an immigrant. It might be, it might be uh, a Democrat. It might be, you know, whatever your, your particular flavor is of that. You know, it, it might be someone who you find reprehensible. It could be a member of the KKK. But if he was beaten on the side of the road, would you walk and pass by him? No, not according to Jesus. Because I'm going to die for him too. Just as I died for the Roman soldiers and the people who nailed me to the cross, I died for them. I'm going to die. Whoever I will die for, that is your neighbor. In other words, everyone. Remember that. Remember that when you're called by God, when the Spirit leads you to care for somebody and care for them deeply and with the love of Jesus Christ and expect them the day later to yell at you from across the street and tell you what a terrible person you are. And amen. Uh, go forth in the peace of Jesus Christ. That peace that comes when we are walking by faith with him and when we are responding to the world around us, not by our fallen human nature, but by the spirit of God that is in us. We are called to care for others. Go out and care today. In Jesus' name, amen.